Hello, and welcome to the Yosemite Area Creatives Podcast. My name is Tom Shiavon, and I'm recording from Yosemite Cowork in Oakhurst, California. I'll be your host as we yak with artists and artisans from the picturesque Sierra Mountains surrounding Yosemite National Park. Mary Beth Harrison really surprised and inspired me. I first learned about her work from another painter who emphasized her historical subjects. As a person who loves history, I thought this would provide a really interesting angle on a historic area. But her paintings cover a much wider variety of subjects than I anticipated. I loved hearing about how she reconnected with her artistic gifts later in life and how the sale of some of her paintings benefit local charities. I hope you enjoy hearing her story as much as I did. So today we're talking to Mary Beth Harrison, and um, she's a local artist. And you have a really interesting story about rediscovering your love of art. Can you tell us about that? Sure. As a child, art was my very, very favorite thing. I can remember a lot of afternoons sitting at the kitchen table just drawing with my brothers. Um, my mom would buy butcher paper and rolls and just roll it out across the table, and we would just draw, draw, draw. Um, my brothers loved to draw superheroes. I loved to draw Dr. Seuss characters. I was fascinated with Dr. Seuss characters and dinosaurs. We'd all draw we draw whatever we want, but it was a, a very freeing atmosphere, and my favorite gifts were art supplies. And if there was an art lesson at school or at church or in an after-school program, didn't matter what medium it was, I was there. I just loved every every opportunity to create art. I was very lucky to have a wonderful art teacher in high school. Four years of just creating, creating, creating in every medium possible. Her name was Barbara Agario, uh, Half Moon Bay High School on the coast. And uh, she made me love art even more. So you had a, a passion for art as a young person, and then you kind of got away from it for a little while. I did. I, I went to college and I didn't really have any idea what I wanted to be, but the idea of being an artist for some reason didn't occur to me as a career. I did get uh, very interested in photography in college. I spent a lot of time doing that. Uh, but the the drawing, painting, creating somehow faded away in all the time spent in college. And when I got my first job as a teacher, I am the type of person who's always all in in whatever I do. And my creative energies went into teaching. And uh, by my late 20s, I was married and had my first child. And you know how that goes. The, Right. Every yeah. moment is taken and all my energies went into doing those things well. Yeah. When you have kids, it's, it basically becomes a survival uh, for a while. Uh, so you've had kids, you had your career, um, the creative aspect kind of receded a little bit into the background um, or was just poured into different uh, areas. Um, and so how did you uh, rediscover painting? In high school, I'd done just a few paintings, but enough to know that I loved it. And I did remember it occasionally that I loved it. And even in the school where when I moved up here and was teaching for the Yosemite District, I saw what was being created in art classes. I saw some night classes with adults. And I remember mentioning to my husband more than once, when I retire, I'm going to get back into art. He didn't even know me as an artistic person because uh, I was all gone by the time I met him. Um, but I, I guess I mentioned it often enough that on my 50th birthday, he presented me with a full painting setup, easel, cans, canvases, paints, brushes, 
and said to me, you don't have to wait for retirement. And I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> so I started watching YouTube videos. I got books out of the library and I set up a little corner of my dining room and I started to paint. And so did you do, so obviously YouTube is, you can do basically anything. I've like built rooms off of YouTube. Right. And I, I fix everything off of YouTube. Um, but was there any other kind of training that you did or did you study with anybody or go take I did. classes? After about a year of learning what I could on my own, I felt like I had learned some things, but I could picture in my head where I wanted to be and I wasn't getting there. I was kind of leveling off. So I searched for a teacher. I found one in Clovis and I started taking once a week painting lessons. That was with Linda McCoy. She um, has retired now, but she taught me so much. I ended up taking six years of weekly lessons with her. And at the same time, I became enamored with an artist online named Dreama Toll Perry. And I got to take a in-person class in Southern California with her, which really changed my style a lot. She taught me some techniques I had never seen before, and I've now learned to use those in new ways. And uh, that in-person workshop turned into some online workshops with her as well. And I continue to take workshops whenever I can. But the real turning point for me was uh, after probably two years of lessons in Clovis and my workshop with Dream of Toll Perry. I was painting on my own at home one Saturday morning. I was still working full time, so I just painted when I could. And the house was quiet. I was painting away. And all of a sudden I felt like I was almost choking, but it was just like something was bubbling up inside of me. And I had this huge grin on my face and it was, it was pure joy. It was just joy choking me. And it just rushed me back to the feeling of childhood joy, that kind of joy that kids get that's that's all-consuming. And I was just, I realized that I was doing something I'd always been meant to do. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that, um, that it would bring you that much happiness and joy. But I think probably a lot of people who do things for out of happiness and joy, it can just be kind of a thing that they do on their own. But you've displayed a lot of places, you've sold art. So how did you make that that jump from, this is something I'm picking back up at, at 50 um, <laughs> and taking some courses um, to like, oh, I could be an artist and share it. Like, did you get feedback from people that really was positive or, or how did you make that transition? Even as a child, I got a lot of good feedback on my art. I knew people loved to look at art. Um, I created a painting for my daughter when she uh, left for college and she was living in Kansas. She was a bit homesick and I did a big painting of downtown North Fork, which is where she grew up. And I, I gave it to her because she was homesick. But before I gave it to her, a lot of people saw it. And I was displaying it at the North Fork Christmas Bazaar because I had made some little cards out of it. And a lady that runs the, uh, Jenny's Garden in North Fork, she sells work from about 75 local artists and she was interested in my work. And I was like, really? you think people would be interested in more? And she was absolutely encouraging. So I started putting paintings in her shop. And I also um, started putting things online and things started selling. And uh, before long, I was a member of the Yosemite Gateway Art Center here. And John Bach asked me to display my paintings there. And it just kind of balloons. You know, people see your work um, when they buy something or they find out something they wanted has sold already. And 
I did see our art trails and did well there. Um, the thing about being a painter, especially a prolific painter, I paint pretty quickly, is you can end up with a lot of paintings sitting in your closet. I mean, all my relatives have my paintings. We've got my paintings hanging all over my house. <laughs> I don't want my paintings sitting in a closet. So I look for ways to get them out there. Yeah, I guess, you know, you can do a, a spring cleaning with your own paintings, right? Like you you give them to people and, and I'm sure they all appreciate having that as well as a, a thoughtful, personalized, personally created gift. Right. So you touched on, um, on North Fork and I know that you have worked with, uh, is it the North Fork History History group. History yeah. group. Okay. To create kind of a historical series. So maybe just talk about how you connected with them and then maybe some of those those paintings that you've done as part of that. I have always been pretty fascinated with history. Even as a child, I read the Laura Ingalls Wilder books all the time and anything that had to do with pioneers and cowboys. I was always fascinated with history. And I look at downtown North Fork and I know some of the buildings down there are over a hundred years old. And I got to looking at some of the North Fork history group photos that they show at events. And like the building that's the Buckhorn, it's still there. The big rock out in front of the Buckhorn, still there. Even in the old photos where it was just a dirt road, you can, you can pick out the things that are the same. I had asked their permission to use one of their photos of the old mill for a painting. I did a really long, like a three foot long painting of the mill with all the logs laid out in front. And I, I had a feeling in my head that this is a painting that belongs to the town. It doesn't belong to me. I didn't want to sell it. And I was talking to a lady from the history group and uh, the longer we talked, the more I knew that that was the place this planning needed to go. And so I gave it to them and they used it as a fundraiser. They used it as uh, they sold raffle tickets. And so it got a lot of viewing. They, they don't just do one event. They do events all year long and they show the painting all year long. And at the end of the year, they raffle it. And so since then, I've, I've given them a painting each year to raffle. And I try to pick something that has to do with local history because that's their focus. They also have binders and binders full of photographs of our area from a long ago. And they said I could look through it. And if I found some things I wanted to paint, I could do that. So I had it in my head that I wanted to do a series and I decided to do a history series. And it's very challenging. You take this old black and white photo, sometimes they're a little blurry and turning it into a color painting gives me some room for creativity, but I also want to stay true to the photograph because it's a historical moment in time. So that, what was that? I know when we were talking a little bit earlier, you mentioned that you would often try to go to the same place where the photo had been taken. Was that kind of an interesting experience to go someplace where the background is probably almost exactly the same, but to have this slice of history you're trying to recreate? Right. So especially the ones of downtown North Fork, if I painted, there was an old gas station there called Bob Quick's Shell Station. It's, the building is still there. It's not a gas station anymore, but it sits below the Buckhorn. Both those buildings were there. And in the photo I was working from, which was from the 40s, there was a school bus parked in front of Bob Quick's Shell Station. And so I was able to paint that scene plus go there and try to stand at the same spot as the photographer had and take a picture of what it looks like today so people could compare. But the cool thing for me is how art connects me with people. As soon as I posted my painting online, 
people from all over that I didn't know at all were chiming in with stories about Bob Quick and what a nice man he was and how they'd get off the bus there and his wife would come out and give them cookies and milk. And if they had to wait for their parents to pick them up, they had a place that was safe that they could stay. And they had uh, kids of their own that would come out and play. And it was just great to share all the stories. Yeah, that's really great to be able to not just create a piece of art that people can appreciate on its own, but also that is connected with people's own experiences and kind of resurrects in that case, especially a a very happy time in their life that they can recall. A lot of times I find people don't even realize what a place meant to them until they see a picture of it. One of my favorite stories is I was pretty new to selling my art. I was at the North Fork Christmas Bazaar. I had a painting of an old gas station in South Fork, and it still had some cars from the 1940s parked out front. Very old, very rusty, obviously not moving at all, just there kind of for a show. And a couple came up, an older couple, and they were looking and being very polite. And the man saw that painting. He was like, huh, look at that. And he's he's talking to his wife, look at that painting. Look at that car. That's a 19 da-da-da. He knew exactly what it was. I really like that. And she said, why don't you buy it? Oh, no. No, that's okay. And she's like, Bob, you never want anything. You want this painting. And he he got like a little kid. He just started, got this grin on his face. And he was like, well, okay. And so he bought it. And I found out later that he carried it out of the bazaar, stopping at almost every booth and showing it to each person that he could and and telling them how excited he was to have that painting. It was something he'd never even considered owning a piece of art. As a creative person, that's probably the the best experience that you could have. Not only did your paintings bring you joy, but it brought him a lot of joy as well. One of the really interesting historical ones that you showed me, I think it was at the Yosemite was Renaissance show. Yeah, the Yosemite Renaissance show was the Sierra Fish Delivery. And so maybe just talk about a little bit about what it depicts and then also your process and in, in creating that and maybe why you chose that photo. One of the photos I got from the North Fork History Group was from a photographer named J.A. Thomason, who worked in North Fork in the 1940s, and he photographed every building in North Fork, and then he expanded out of North Fork. And at some point, he went up in the High Sierras, and he photographed a pack train of mules carrying fish up into the High Sierras, live trout that they were going to populate the lakes with. And it was a beautiful photograph, and I knew it would make a good painting. It had a lot of good shadow and light. But what fascinated me was just the idea that people would put fish in canisters and carry them up into the high Sierra. What a job. People in general fascinate me with the things that they find uh, a way to make a living at. I've done paintings of loggers and all kinds of jobs that to me just seem bigger than life. And I love the way that People are undaunted by something like, oh, we have this lake that's up at 8,000 feet. It has no fish in it. What can we do about that? (laughs) Yeah. Let's put live fish in canisters and carry them up there and let them go. Yeah, that's one of the fun things. I think being out here, I like history. And so, you know, I'm definitely guilty of like pulling over at those, you know, random plaques on the side of the road and and trying to read them all. Or like my kids, you know, really enjoy going to museums all the time um, as I stand and, and make sure I read everything that's in there. But one of the things that's amazing out here, and it's not that long ago, was 
that they were pioneers. They were coming out here and they had to like create things that were to me would seem like it was too hard of something to do. Right. But for them, it just, they just said, okay, we're going to do this. Like, you know, just there's a flume from like Bass Lake to what Clovis or Fresno, right? Right. Like, we're just going to build like a 40 mile long flume or whatever, you know? Yeah, and, and we're going to take these hand tools and cut down this tree that's 30 feet across. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's amazing that they would just do things that today would seem inefficient or just not a good idea to do. And they would just do it. And I also love the, I'm kind of jealous that people could like ride the flume down. Mm -hmm. You know, now we pay $150 or whatever to go to Disney World and do that for like four seconds, but they would do it, you know, just as a way to get down there. I'm not sure how they got back up, but it would definitely be a, a great way to get down there. Yeah, it's so, so different from the way we live now, but really not that long ago. When I look at some of the dates on the things that I painted, it was like, well, you know, they were pushing actual fire over the edge of Glacier Point. When I was born, they were still doing that. Yeah, a friend and I, this is kind of off topic, but, you know, you get sucked into your Facebook feed, right? And there was one that I saw, and I was discussing it with a buddy of mine, where they'd have, like, 15-story buildings, and they would, like, rotate them or, like, move them, you know, 200 feet across the block. And I just thought, like, it's like a big brick building. And one of them was a coroner's office and the guy still kept working it as they were moving it like inches oh every goodness. day. Yeah. So along somewhere along in the history that I was, somebody told me that there was a school on one side of Bass Lake at one point and they wanted it on the other side of Bass Lake and they actually floated it across the lake. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Took the building and just moved it. Yeah. My job, my, my grown up job is a lot of telling people that they don't need to do things that are like over-engineering, but in those situations, they just figured it out and did it. You know, we've talked a little bit about the historical paintings. Um, I've noticed from your online works, there's quite a bit in Half Moon Bay also, and it sounds like you grew up there. Is I that did. right? Okay. Yeah. I, I love the coast. I I lived in Pacifica for quite a few years. I My dad, his favorite thing on Sunday afternoon was put all the kids in the car and go for a ride. And Half Moon Bay was one of the places we would go to quite often. And it kind of sparked in me a dream of living in the country someday. And so I I lived in Half Moon Bay through my teen years. Uh, I got my first teaching job in Monterey. Um, When my husband's job got moved to Fresno, we ended up moving up to North Fork. We didn't, we, realtors really tried to talk us into moving to Clovis over and over again. And we're like, no, we want to live in the country. And I remember one day out in my garden working, thinking, wow, I'm, I'm in the country and I'm married and I have two kids and I have a job that I love. How many more of my dreams can come true? These are all the things I wondered as, as a teenager. I wonder if I'll ever get married. I wonder if I'll ever have kids. These are the things I would like to do. Uh, I have done them. And then to become an artist on top of that, I'm really, really blessed. That's wonderful. So you've got mountain area paintings, you've got historical paintings, you've got coastal paintings, but then you also do some still lifes. And so one of them that I thought was really interesting as a subject, but really works is an appointment with toast. (laughs) And so maybe talk a little bit about what does that depict? And then how did that become something that you said, I want to, I want to recreate as an, as a piece of art. I, I do sometimes have fun naming my paintings. I try to stay away from the the titles that just say, you know, Half Dome in Spring or something like that. I, I want to put a name down that conveys the feeling. And I almost do feel like I have an appointment with Toast every morning. 
since I retired from teaching, one of the most enjoyable things for me is is having a leisurely morning. I like to make brewed tea in the morning and have my thoughts together. And when I look across my only semi-lit kitchen in the morning, my toaster is lit up by the, the lights that are underneath the cabinet above it. And it really is beautiful the way the lights hit that toaster. And I think all the time, I love the way the light hits my toaster. <laughs> so I took photographs of it and I decided to paint it. And what I have found is that if something resonates with me, it usually resonates with a lot of people. A lot of people love their toast in the morning. And just to make it a little more special, I included in the painting a little sugar dish that belonged to my grandmother that has little roses on the side. And so it becomes a very sentimental painting. It is hanging right now at Yosemite Gateway Art Center, if anybody would like to see it. But it's a toaster <laughs> with, yeah. with a butter dish and, and a little sugar dish on the side. And you wouldn't... A lot of people would think, why would you paint that? Well, it's not a sunset. It's not It's not the beach, but it still is, is something that brings me joy. And have you gotten a, a range of reactions to, to the painting? I, the first reaction, people are like, you painted your toaster? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. And then they see it like, and they're like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, that worked. Yeah, I think it, it, it you know, there's that routine part in the morning and that kind of things that you gain comfort from. Right. And um, and I think that even if people don't do that around their own toaster, they can have that same feeling about things that they do routinely that bring them comfort. And I think one of the things about art that is so special is that it can shine a light on things that you tend to overlook. You'll find artists who, I've seen many artists who say learning to create art is just learning to see differently. And you do see differently. I've been giving my mom painting lessons. and. I'm just overjoyed when I hear her say to my stepfather, look at that tree over there. Do you see how many different greens are in that tree? You would think it would just be one green, but it's not. There's probably five shades of green there. And then you have to paint those little sky holes in to make it look like like a real tree and not a lollipop tree. So she's learning to see. And has painting helped you? It sounds like there's a process of slowing down and looking and really being intent about that. Is there a sense in that in which painting bleeds over that process of slowing down and looking at something has kind of bled into other areas of your life? Painting for me is almost like meditation. Time passes and I don't realize it. I don't get hungry. My husband will, has learned not to interrupt me unless it's something really important because I get in a different kind of zone. It's almost like when you're reading a really good story and someone starts talking to you and you don't even hear them. Right. Yeah, you just, you're in a different world and it is a very, I'm sure a very good thing for for your brain. Kind of jumping back to the history ones a little bit. There's a few works uh, depicting uh, Native American people or objects. Um, so obviously that's a very important part of the history in this area. Why was it important for you to preserve some of those? There's no way I could do justice to our area history without including paintings that portrayed Native Americans. I did want to avoid any cultural appropriation, so I was very careful. Um, I asked the uh, North Fork Mono Museum for any photo that they would like to have painted, and they gave me a photo of their baskets and that's something they're extremely proud of. Their baskets are beautiful. They're also watertight. Um, they're coveted around the world. 
And I learned a lot by doing that painting. I talked to a Native American friend who could tell me about the plants that they use so that I can include those plants in the painting. And one thing I hadn't mentioned is all of the paintings in my history series were to um, benefit different groups in the area. So the Mono Museum basket painting, when that one sold, they got the money for it. If the one that I have at the Yosemite Renaissance sells, the North Fork History Group will get the money for that one. Um, I also painted a very well-known uh, woman from Yosemite uh, who's known as Maggie Howard. Her her native name was Tabuse, and there's lots and lots of pictures of her in the National Park Archives. And the picture I chose was of her gathering acorns. She has the most beautiful smile on her face and a sparkle in her eye. And I wanted, I just saw the picture and I wanted to know more about her. And when I read some of the accounts of people who had met her, they all talked about what a great sense of humor she had. And even in the face of a life where she was born by Mona Lake, she moved to Yosemite Valley, the army came in, they moved all the native people to a different area to live, and then she worked as a maid and a cook for people who lived in the valley. She, she went through a lot to try to maintain her lifestyle. And in the end, she became a paid demonstrator of how to make acorn food, you know, food with the acorns, baking. She was always paid to take place, take, play a part in Indian field days, <laughs> which was a tradition in the park for many years where the natives were made to play the parts of Plains Indians. You know, they dressed them up as Plains Indians, and and it really didn't honor the local natives at all. And people would very commonly ask her, how old are you? And apparently she would say, I'm 16, how old are you? Because <laughs> it's kind of a rude question, and right. she would just deflect it. And uh, one account I read from a man named Eldon Grupp, he said that the thing he remembered the most is when he shook her hand, her palms were gnarled and rough, and he could had a sense of how much work she had done in her lifetime. Yeah, that's great. I think that uh, gathering acorns is a very emblematic action because there's actually that even though she and many of them have passed now, you can go to different places and see where they would communally gather and grind the acorns into flour. I know, uh, you know, around Bass Lake doing some hikes there, you can kind of see those areas where they would, you know, have that preserved still and right. where they've they've ground into the the granite you know providing acorn flour for their uh for their daily lives right um, they're just doing what what to them is a normal day's activity there was a there's a really good museum just outside of bend oregon called the high plains museum and they have a native american exhibit there and, and it was something that i think taught me a lot in that you know a lot of times our western depictions of native americans have either been the noble savage or the, you know, the kind of fierce savage um, and how those are really kind of putting identities on them that were not their own identities and that they were, they were complex people just like everybody else. And so right. it was a really good exhibit talking about how they use the coyote as um, like the shapeshifter and kind of use that as a way to describe how they had adapted 
and really were thriving still. And that's uh, kind of what she did, I think. Yeah. yeah she, you know, and th through my publication of her painting, I did get to talk online with uh, one of her nieces. Mm -hmm. And if this painting sells, it will support the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Fund. That's fantastic. I, I love that so many of your paintings have gone to support different mission-driven organizations yeah. in the area. Yeah. I, I always want to pass the blessing on. I know how blessed I am. And if I can, when something strikes me, like when the war started in Ukraine, the next few paintings I did all went to Doctors Without Borders and other organizations that were feeding people and helping to get people out of the country. And there's nothing else I really can do to help a situation like that. Yeah. I mean, but that's, that's the best. I mean, use the thing that brings you the most joy to try to bring relief to other people. Right. And how much better is that than having a painting sit in the closet? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's been really wonderful talking to you. If they want to go look at some more of your art, where would they do that? My website is marybethharrisonart.com. They can also see it at Yosemite Gateway Art Center here in Oakhurst, Jenny's Garden in North Fork. Uh, do you always do Sierra Art Trails? I always do Sierra Art Trails, yes. And I usually do the Loggers Jamboree in North Fork. If you've never been to the Loggers Jamboree, that is a mountain thing you have to do. I, I didn't even know that that was a thing, yeah. so I'll have to look and, that up. And I always do the North Fork Christmas Bazaar, which is just the best little Christmas bazaar in the mountains.